Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Radio Gag, your weekly update on how we are working to end the gun violence epidemic in the United States. My name is Paul Rowley, and I am your host for this evening's show. And I am so thrilled to be able to announce that tonight marks two years since we have been on air here on WBAI. And I don't know if I, we've ever shared with you, our listeners, how this all happened, but our wonderful programme director, Linda Perry, was walking through Union Square two years ago, like I say, and she heard these satirical political songs being sung by this group who we now know as our regular Sing Out Louise, um, as we call them, our singing political quartet, who you hear on the show every week. And Linda was super taken with Sing Out Louise and managed to get in touch with us and that's how the conversation started and I have to say when we first chatted I was thinking how are we going to make this work you know I'm a documentary filmmaker when I'm not on air here and I know how much it takes to pull a story together the research um, and the teams that are involved and I was like how are we going to produce a half an hour show every week on gun violence in America. I mean, it's such a tough subject. This are such difficult times politically and socially. Yet two years later, here we are. So, I mean, first and foremost, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who listens in every week or whenever you can. It's it's the listeners that keep us on air, obviously, you know, and also just I just want to thank everybody on the Radio Gag team, the Radio Gaggers, as we call ourselves. Um, it's a big team of people that bring the show to you every week. So, you know, in these tough times, it's great to have things to celebrate. And we're certainly celebrating being able to bring the show to you every week for the past two years. So thank you to Linda and Berthold. Thank you to Reggie, our wonderful engineer who puts the show together with us every week. And thank you to our listeners, um, because obviously without listeners, <laughs> we wouldn't have a radio show. So this week, what we're doing is that we thought that we would kind of jump back into some of the moments that really touched us and moved us, got us thinking over the last two years. Kind of like a little, I don't want to say best of really, because, you know, you know, we're dealing with gun violence. It's a very difficult and upsetting subject, very emotional. But some of the moments that moved us, let's say. So um, from our various hosts. First of all, we're going to start with an in memoriam because... Um, on our shows every week we do like to honour a life lost to gun violence and over the years we've honoured hundreds of people who have lost their lives to this epidemic and this week we are honouring Jason Perro. Hi listeners, hi Paul, thanks for putting this together. The first piece is such a favourite of mine, it's from 2019, a show called Guns and the Wild West. One of my high school students recorded an in-memoriam for Jason Perro, age 14. I want to thank Mia McClinton, a student at Millennium Brooklyn High School, for honoring Jason tonight. For tonight's in-memoriam, remember Jason Perro, a 14-year-old boy and member of the Bad River Band, of Lake Superior Tribe of Chippewa Indians in Wisconsin, who died in 2017. Jason was a sweetheart angel face, said his cousin who drove 200 miles to be at his funeral. He was a musician, 
in a school band, and he practiced native drumming. He was also the guide for his mother, who was blind. Perrell's grandfather, Alan Perrell, described Jason as someone who never had one mean bone in his body. Godier said her son was a big teddy bear, and everybody loved him. After the shooting, Bad River Band Chairman Robert Blanchard said he had not heard directly from sheriff officials about why Perrell was shot, and he questioned why the deputy had to take the teen's life. Tragically, Jason was killed after having made the 911 call that Sheriff Deputy Merjanovich was responding to. Blanche was found at the scene after Jason had called 911 reporting a man wielding a knife at his address. The description he gave matched himself. This is a tragedy that should not have happened. There's other ways to do things than to pull out a gun and shoot him, Blanchard said. Sheriff officials said the deputy was not injured and referred further questions on the shooting to the Department of Justice. A 2014 study by the Center on Juvenile and Criminal Justice reported that per capita, Native Americans are more likely to be killed by police than any other demographic in the U.S. In fact, Native American children experience PTSD at the same rate as combat veterans. Jason, we remember you. That's Jason. It's good to remember him. Mm -hmm. And I want to thank Alan Salwa from Teen Vogue for pointing out that the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history took place in 1890 when representatives of the U.S. government executed as many as 300 Native men, women, and children at Wounded Knee, South Dakota, for practicing ghost dancing, a spiritual tradition. Thank you so much, Mia and Sarah, for that very moving tribute to Jason's life. Um, of course, as we are reminded again and again um, here on the show, is that it is black and indigenous and people of color who are most vulnerable to the gun violence epidemic in the U.S. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later on in the show, um, talking about the impact of guns and the recent Black Lives Matter movements um, and COVID. And right now that we have a historical piece, you know, as we, as you know, we often like to go back into the history of the country and of weaponry in general, you know, and the tools of oppression to um, find out a little bit more about how we get to where we get to today. So here we have Sarah again with a feature on Sarah Winchester. I have been fascinated by the next story for some time. It's the story of a high society heiress, Sarah Winchester, who was convinced that she was haunted by the ghosts of the people who were killed by Winchester rifles. And it's the story of the glamorizing of guns by Hollywood. I'm a California girl. Dry hills, deserts, hiking through the canyon. There's a picture of me from my junior high school's western days, wearing a black cowboy hat. I never fired a gun, though. To me, they were just part of the outfit. Not so for Sarah Winchester, the eccentric Victorian-era heiress of the Winchester Repeating Firearms Company. In the mid-19th century, her husband William struck it rich in New Haven, Connecticut, with the repeating rifle, a firearm that automatically reloaded and expelled the spent cartridge. The Winchester repeating rifle became a weapon of choice for the infantry of both the Union Army and the Confederacy in the American Civil War. 
This rifle, the Winchester 73, as it became known, was one of the instruments of death in our great Civil War, a war so deadly and bloody that all the casualties in every war that has followed still do not equal the 620,000 lost in those years. This rifle became famous for winning the West, the romantic branding used for the genocidal war the U.S. Cavalry waged on the Sioux, Cheyenne, and other indigenous people. U.S. forces succeeded in confiscating their lands, confining their nations to reservations, and forcing death marches to relocate remaining members of ravaged tribes. Sarah Winchester lived a life far away from all that. She was a beautiful society woman, the pride of her hometown of New Haven. Sadly, her first child, Annie, died at about six months old, and she never had another. Her husband, too, died a few years later, leaving the Winchester heiress with a great deal of money and a lonely life. Sarah moved out to California and bought a three-bedroom ranch house in San Jose. Her remodeling project became an architectural curiosity that is a popular tourist attraction today. As she expanded the home to suit a woman of her means, with beautiful stained-glass windows, inlaid fireplaces, and ballrooms, she began to practice spiritualism, a popular Victorian belief dedicated to communicating with the spirits of the dead. By 1897, there were more than 8 million practitioners in the U.S., mainly from the upper and middle class. It is said that Sarah was told by a medium that she was being haunted by evil spirits who wished to harm her. These were the ghosts of legions of Civil War soldiers and Native Americans who had been killed by Winchester rifles. The evidence is in the sprawling house that she left. It contains many stairways that lead nowhere, doors that open onto walls, and hallways that end abruptly, the perfect way to confuse a wandering ghost. The legendary status of Winchester rifles was cemented in the 1950s with the Hollywood Western Winchester 73. In this story, James Stewart and Shelley Winters star as outlaws and lawmen fight over the gun and it becomes a bargaining chip between warring tribes and U.S. cavalry. Who needs product placement when Hollywood will make you a legend for just being the deadly and accurate rifle that you are? No wonder Winchester is still selling rifles. They sponsor a big industry trade show every year in January, just so gun owner fans can get a preview of all the new weapons. Nostalgia over the Wild West keeps selling guns today, even though it is widely known that American forces waged genocidal war on indigenous people and villages. Native Americans barely survived those genocidal years. Guns have always played a part in the oppression of minorities, women, and the poor. It's time to wake up from an American dream that promotes violence and death. Thank you, Sarah. What a great report. I mean, I just find that the history of guns in this country is so, so fascinating. And I can't think of anywhere else in the world where you know, our national identity is so linked to an inanimate object. Nowhere else in the world do we have this kind of fever for guns. And I think that's really a big part of what we're trying to do here on the show, you know, and what we do with our work as Gays Against Guns and really what all activists do is like, we're trying to change the culture, right? We're trying to change things from 
the way that they have always been, inequality, violence, marginalization, oppression. And in our case with guns, you know, using tools that are not only made to kill, but are made to profit, you know, as we hear in the Winchester story. And this continues to this day, you know, so it's not an easy fight. You know, we've certainly picked a tough topic (laughs) to try and to try and overcome, you know. But I will say that in the two years since we have started this show, a lot has changed for better and for worse. It feels like we're going in both directions at the same time. I mean, on the positive side, we've seen so many Companies divest themselves from the NRA, FedEx, Wells Fargo, which we campaigned against for many years. Um, The NRA TV is shut down. You know, the culture is changing, you know, and red flag laws in New York State, background checks bill passed in the House, but still sitting on Mitch McConnell's desk. So culture is changing and we are getting somewhere, but so many people are having to die in order for these changes to be made. I do not understand it. In the opposite direction then, let's just even look at the statistics from last month. There were two mass shootings every day. At the same time the previous year, there was one a day, which was already outrageous. In August, we had two. So a lot more people are dying. A lot more guns are being shot. A lot more guns are being bought because of the fear-mongering around covid And, you know, like I say, it's this all-American idea of, like, we have the right to own as many guns as we want and to parade around with them hanging off our shoulders, you know. To me, that's nuts. Ty Kersley, as we all know, is a regular host here on Radio Gag, and he interviewed uh, Alan Lichtman, who many of you know wrote many fantastic texts, including The Case for Impeachment in 2017, and most recently, Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safer America. Let's take a listen. I recently had a discussion with Dr. Lichtman and asked him about the armed protests against stay-at-home orders. So, too, a lot of these folks have this same misguided view of the Constitution, that the Constitution and the Second Amendment lets me do anything I want. And any encroachment on what I want to do is somehow against the American way and against the Constitution. So toting guns is of a piece with not wearing masks and not protecting others from the fact that you may yourself be infected and causing suffering and death with others. That's antithetical to this point of of view, which believes the Constitution is in fact a blank check for me to do anything I want. And then, you know, part of this too is this ethnocentrism, this belief that, you know, we are still the America of the pioneers. And this should be, you know, a white Christian America. And we're bitter and we're angry because we see that changing. Even though they identify themselves with the founding fathers and they were fathers because women didn't participate in those days. As I've been explaining, and as repeal the second amendment, the case for a safer America points out, virtually everything they say and everything they stand for is exactly the opposite of what the framers and what the founding fathers stood for. They stood for law and order. They stood for peaceful persuasion. They stood for decision-making by election, not by armed aggression. And uh, 
They stood for balanced government and they stood for the common good. They didn't believe in this kind of uh, extreme individualism that anyone can do anything they please. James Madison, who framed the Second Amendment, has extensive disquisitions on the value of virtue and the importance of virtue, not just what's on paper in our Constitution, but virtue and respect for others as essential to the thriving and survival of our republic. But you know, my wife, Karen Strickler, is a brilliant political organizer. She's former head of the National Endangered Species Coalition. She runs a Vote Climate US PAC dedicated to fighting catastrophic climate change. And she gave me some very wise advice when I first wrote this book. Don't try to convert the diehard opposition. It's never going to happen. Rally your supporters, try to convert the undecided, but there's really not much you can do about the diehard opposition. The truth is, if you look at the polling on almost every gun control measure that I advocate in repeal the Second Amendment, the case for a second, save for America, it's got anywhere from 60 to 85 percent public approval. People are behind this. They just don't have a, a way of rallying. They don't have the intensity that uh, the opponents of gun control seem to have. That's why I keep saying the game needs to be changed. You're listening to listener-sponsored WBAI Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. And we are celebrating two years on air this week. And once again, I want to thank all our listeners for listening in week after week. And, you know, at this point, I would really love to encourage you, our regular listener, to become a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. It's a super simple thing to do. You basically go to the website, give to WBAI.org. That's the number two. And in the top left hand corner there of the web page, it says become a BAI buddy. When you click through there, you could just go down and say, oh, I want to support Radio Gag. That's the that's the show that I want to give money to. And it's as little as 10 bucks a month. So that's like $2.50 a week. And you know what? I know it doesn't sound like much. And I know you're probably thinking, oh, I'll do it at some point or whatever. But please do, you know, if you can just go now and take the time and do that. It would really, really help to keep this radio station on air and, and our unique radio show. I mean, as far as I'm aware, there's no other radio show in the country that really digs into this gun violence epidemic week after week and tries to come up with ways to offer solutions and to lift up voices of people who are in this struggle. So so once again, if you can just pop over to give to WBAI.org and sign up for a monthly donation as a WBAI buddy for Radio Gag, we would appreciate it so, so much. So thanks for that. Continuing now where... Alan Lickman left off we have an interview with Jay Walker um, as many of you know is a regular contributor to the radio show back in June Sarah talked with Jay about the violence that we are seeing um, in opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement let's take a listen how did we get to this violence in what has been up to now the country's largest ongoing peaceful protest movement this is from June So, Jay, our conversation today is about white supremacy and gun rights groups. And essentially, 
armed extremism. Let's start talking about the legitimacy of these Second Amendment groups because, Jay, when I go on their websites, they all are about, oh, you know, we're all about freedom, this and that. You know, we want to protect constitutional rights. These Second Amendment groups, they are backed by moneyed interest. Uh, I'm pretty certain that you could trace a lot of that money back to the firearms industry. And you know, this notion of them being able to claim that they're a Second Amendment group is, you know, kind of farcical, right? The Second Amendment was interpreted one way for the first 200 plus years of this country's existence. And it was one Supreme Court decision in the 80s that suddenly reinterpreted the Second Amendment and decided that the Second Amendment was a right for every single individual in the country to, um, to own and bear arms. But the roots of this Second Amendment groups and these militia groups, which by the way, we always have to remember when we talk about the concept of militia, that the militias that were, that were brought up in the text of the Second Amendment were essentially slave catchers. They were essentially militias that were formed to keep black people and to keep Native American indigenous people in their place. So with that in mind, when we see these modern day militias that are uh, you know, protesting on these state capitals, it's important to remember that yes, like the Door Brothers, these militias that are talking about they're wanting the freedom to the freedom to assemble or the freedom to do their jobs or to go back to work or you know whatever, we we have to we have to remember that these Door Brothers are Second Amendment kind of gadflies. They've set up scores of websites and social media pages over the years to ramp up this, this I'm just going to say what I call them, this gun nutter ideology. And he, they saw the opportunity with the lockdown to repurpose their mailing lists and to create a, a highly armed citizen's response to states with Democratic governors, mostly, in response to the lockdown and you know sort of tried to you know to mask what the true intent and the true origin of those quote-unquote protesters were people are calling them protesters i call them terrorists the fact that the various entities of capital policing and the various entities that control what is and what is not allowed within um, environment of a state capital they completely capitulated to these terrorists. Being a black man and, and seeing George Floyd have his carotid artery stepped on for eight, nine and a half minutes or however long that we saw on that video, but we don't know how much longer before that video that knee was on his neck. When we see police reactions to, to nonviolent offenses, either committed or suspected to have been committed, by black people, by people of color generally, compared to the, the complete rollover and play dead that we see when we look at their responses to armed white people. It's, it's just apparent 
how fundamentally our entire legal system is built around protecting the prerequisites of white people and threatening the freedom and the basic humanity and the lives of black people most specifically, but really all people of color. Wow, thanks Jay, always breaking it down like it should be. And thank you, Sarah, Ty, everybody who contributed to this week's show. We are out of time. One thing I did learn this week though about guns is that open carrying a gun will not save your boat from sinking. So that's one thing a gun won't do for you. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for listening in. As always, two years on air. Thank you, WBAI. We appreciate you so much and we love being part of the family. Take care, folks, and we will be back next week. Shake it up, baby, now. Resist and shout. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, baby, now. We're gonna vote them all out. Well, vote them all out.